we live in a day and an age where it's kind of uh, casual Christianity. You know, we, we, we don't have uh, a whole lot of people that feel like living for Christ is something that I need to commit my life to or living for Christ is something that actually has an expectation of me doing something or being different or, or standing out or, or not fitting in. Amen. Do you understand that being a Christian, you shouldn't fit in. Amen. Being a Christian, you should, you should not be able to go certain places without them giving you a look of why are they here. Amen. You should be able to when you come into a situation where normally Christians aren't going to be, people from the world are going to go, oh, why's that, why's that Christian here? Why, why are they, why, what are they doing? Amen. We ought to be different. We ought to stand out. We ought to be able to, somebody ought to be able to look at my life and say, they know Jesus. Amen. It shouldn't be a secret. I titled this message tonight, Christianity is not covert. Okay? Christianity ain't like one of these uh, 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 espionage spy shows, you know, where you're trying to keep your identity secret. That's not Christianity. Amen? Christianity shouldn't be, oh, you know, you know I'm just kind of... I'm, I'm going incognito, okay? There ain't no incognito in Christ, okay? There ain't no covert operations in Jesus, okay? You're either going to live for Jesus out in front of everybody where everybody can see you live for Jesus, or you're not really living for Jesus, amen? I wanted to start out tonight with a quote from a pastor friend of mine who pastors a uh, first First Baptist Church in Cedarville, Kansas. His name's Caleb Gordon, and he has a radio program in Bartlesville called the Northfield Radio Show, okay? He's a pastor, good friend of mine. We, we've only known each other over the last year, but I sure have enjoyed getting to know him, and me and him have been on the same wavelength as far as what the Spirit of God is really putting on our heart to tell people what we're finding in the Word of God, and I'm telling you what, he said something the other day on his uh, on a sermon that he actually quoted me in his sermon, but the part that I got out of it was really good, okay? And I want to give you this quote from Caleb Gordon, pastor of First Baptist Church in Cedarville. He said, you should not have to engage the FBI or the CIA or a private investigator to find out if someone belongs to Christ. Okay? I shouldn't have to employ the FBI to track you down to find out if you really know Jesus. I shouldn't have to get the CIA satellites going and and, 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 oh, do they really know Jesus? Is there any evidence that they know Jesus? Is, is there anything in their life that would say they know Jesus? And I said this past Sunday when we were talking about 1 Timothy chapter 2. I said it ought to be pretty evident who a follower of Christ is. Amen. I shouldn't have to get the telescope out. I shouldn't have to get the microscope out. I, shouldn't, I should not have to work that hard to know that you know Jesus. 
Amen? And for those of you that's watching on Facebook, you might as well buckle up your seatbelt because it's not getting any better from here on out, okay? We're going to get some challenges in here, amen? Uh, we, we've got to understand that it should not take a private investigator or a telescope or a microscope to know that someone is a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, amen? There ought to be evidence. There ought to be a change. There ought to be things that they do that the world don't do, amen? There ought to be some things that they don't do that the world does, amen? But right now, because of what climate we live in in America, I'm going to say it real nice, it's not that evident. We got, huh, we live in a day and an age, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a bunch of terms out here you probably never heard because I made them all up, okay? But this is as close of a description as I can get to some of the things that are going on in America or in modern Christianity because it should be more evident than what it is that people follow Christ. We make it, well, you don't have to, you know, God, uh, heaven, and, and it's salvation is a free gift, right? Amen? It's a free gift, but it ain't cheap. And it doesn't require change on your part. It requires something of you. It's free, but it still demands that your life is forfeited, and now you're living your life for Christ. It demands that you are no longer the same. You're different. And being Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Amen? Now, how can I reconcile the fact that a bunch of, and I'm going to use this term very loosely, okay? Christians, you can't tell them from the world. You can't tell from the way they talk. Can't tell from the way they walk. Can't tell from the way they manage their marriage. You can't tell from the way that they manage their children. You can't tell from the way that they go to work. Come on. We're supposed to be different. Amen? We're supposed to. We're called to be different. It should be obvious. It should be apparent who knows Jesus and who don't. Amen? But we live in a day and an age in a time of covert Christianity. You know what the word covert means? Undercover. Not apparent like you're hiding it amen we're not called to hide our light we're going to get to a point where Jesus tells us you can't put a light a lamp and put it under a bushel or a bowl amen we're not called to be that way we're not to be called to be covert Christianity matter of fact the term covert shouldn't even go with Christian okay a Christ follower, like Christ. Amen? Christians cannot be covert. If you're trying to be covert, maybe you ain't Christian. 
I know that's a tough word, okay, because we got a lot of people go, Pastor, why are you, why are you judging me? I'm not judging you. I'm going I'm to use the word of God to show you that being a Christian demands that I do not deny Jesus Christ in front of or for anything, that I don't put anything in front of Christ, that there's only Christ is ahead of everything in my life. That's the way it's supposed to be. Amen? But we have this we have this covert Christianity, this comfortable Christianity. Or let me rephrase it, this conformable Christianity. This Christianity that says, well, the world don't like this, so I won't preach about that. And the world doesn't like this, so I won't say anything about that. Oh, I know, y'all, that's some good preaching, okay? Because the reality is we're letting the world dictate what we will and won't say. We're letting the world dictate what we what is true in Scripture and what ain't. Well, you know, I know the Bible says that, you know, in, that, that no homosexual will inherit the kingdom of God, but there ain't no but. There ain't no but. The only but you ought to have is the one you're going to sit down and listen to the truth on, okay? Other than that, there ain't no but. There ain't no but. Paul said, do you not know that neither liars or thieves or homosexuals or, or swindlers or idolaters or none of them will inherit the kingdom of God? And then he said, such were some of you. Emphasis on the word were. Why do I make an emphasis on the word were? Because before I was in Christ, I was one way. And when I, when Christ saved me, bought me, redeemed me, I became something else. Amen? And if that did not happen, I question anybody that says they're a Christian. If there's not a point in their life where they can say, I was this way, and now I'm this way. There's evidence that you know him. Jesus said that all men will know you by the love that you bear one for another, right? Jesus said in Matthew 6, yeah, 7, Matthew 7, he said, you'll know a tree by its fruit. Amen? What's the fruit of the Spirit? That's evidence that I have the Spirit. So what's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, faithfulness. All these things are supposed to be evidence in my life as a Christian. Amen? Now, not all of us are at the same spot in love or joy or peace or patience. We all got it in varying degrees. But I ought to be able to see some fruit. Even if you ain't the best person at patience. Because we all know we ain't always the best at patience, right? Amen. Patience, especially for me, I realize that patience for me is determined most of the time on what kind of mood I'm in. <laughs> Amen? Because one day I could be very, very patient. And another day, what? Right. They're not even say a word, right? And anybody that's been married any time at all knows that you got days where you can say all the kind of crazy stuff you want to say to somebody, and then they go 
other days where you just be quiet. No, amen. I got an amen from Carmen. You don't have to be married for them either. Amen. Amen. Tina said, you ain't married for that to happen, Pastor. It ain't like that. But we live in this modern day of conformable Christianity where, where if somebody doesn't like it, then I'll change the message. If, if somebody don't like how the music is, then, with, you know, so he, I'm going to say something that most churches are going to get mad at me for saying, okay? But church is for the gathering of believers. You understand? That's church. We go out and preach to unbelievers, but when we meet, this is for the believers, okay? So it shouldn't matter what anybody outside this church thinks about our music. It doesn't matter. This is for the church. This is for our body of believers to build ourselves up, to praise God, to worship God how we want to. Amen? We got to understand, we can't let the world dictate what they think worship is, okay? Because although I like a lot of this new modern worship music, I still love them old hymns too. And I think that we've lost some of our uh, 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 theology that was grounded in a lot of them old hymns and a lot of this newer stuff, and we've traded in what we actually believe for an emotional experience that doesn't change anybody. Amen? Because here's the thing. How many times you've been to a church and you see somebody run up to the altar crying, fall down on their face, next week they're back. Week after that, they're back. Now you can say something's happening at the altar all you want, but from the outside looking in, it looked like you're just going through some motions now because I remember... When I was 14 years old, I went to an altar and got saved. I never got saved again. You know why? Because I was saved. I didn't have to do it again. I didn't have to uh, do anything else. Amen. God saved me, changed me. Amen. Come on. Let's get it real. How many times? Now, I keep bringing this up, but this is an important thing for us to think about. We live in a day and an age where somebody is saved one day, lost the next, saved one day, lost the next, saved one day, lost the next, okay? Now, no matter what you believe, if you believe in once saved, always saved, or if you believe that you can lose your salvation, here's what I will tell you. Nowhere in the scripture can you back up the idea that one week you come up here and get saved, be lost the next week, come up there and get saved, be lost the week after that, and come up here and get saved again, get lost all over again, come back up and get saved all over again, go get lost all over again, seven, eight, ten times. That is not in Scripture. It don't happen. You either saved or you wasn't saved. Okay, we need to get over this nonsense of, oh, I got saved and then I fell away and I had to get re-saved. And they, had, and they got 10 or 15 stories that they've done that. When that happens, it's because people are basing their salvation off of their own work and not the work of God. Because, huh? Attention. You're right. One of the reasons people do that is for attention. But the truth of Scripture is not this 
lost and fall away, lost and fall away, lost. You can't find that in Scripture. You can't show me that anywhere in the Bible. Okay? The reality is most people's conversion is a one-time event. That's how it's spelled out in the Bible. Your salvation is a one-time event where you're lost and then you're not. You were dead and now you're alive. Amen? That's salvation biblically. That is everybody that's ever really been saved. That's their story. I, I was lost and now I'm not. And then you get them confused with all these preachers and say, well, you really don't know God. I'm going to look right at him and tell him, hey, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ at 14 years old. I knew what happened. I placed my faith in him. God revealed who his son was to me, and I was saved at 14 years old. I know I was. Never, ever, ever doubted that. Nowadays, you got people, well, you know, that was, you was really young, you know, you don't know what you... No, I knew what I was doing. I, I knew the burning in my heart when Pastor Jerry Stafford was preaching. And I ran up to the altar before he even got done preaching. And I said, I need to know this Jesus that you're preaching about. We went in this office and prayed. And I come out crying, bawling my face off. All the people in the church come over there. I remember when I got saved. I know. Amen. It wasn't some, oh, I challenge anybody that watches this message. Show me anywhere in the Bible where it says you can get saved, get lost, get saved, get lost 15 times. That's not scriptural. That's not the Bible. That is not biblical salvation. Amen? You get saved, you're saved. If you ain't saved, then you're still lost. And you still need to be saved. Amen. Then it could it could be that some of these people now we I said all oh, just getting attention. It could be that some of these people have a right idea, but they haven't really had a moment of surrender. Amen. They haven't had a real encounter with God that really changed them. Because here's what we're missing in modern day Christianity, modern day salvation. We think it's all about us. And we have eliminated God in the process. But we forget verses that say, no one can come to the Father except the Son. Amen. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one can go to the Father except through me. Can't go my way. Can't do it my way. It's got to be God's way. Well, how's God's way work? Well, he said, Jesus said this, no one can come to the Son except the Father draws him. That means God has a part to play in the born-again experience. That means God's the one that draws me, woos me, gets me to say, I need you. Because if he didn't, I would never say that. If I didn't come to a point where God the Father spoke to my heart and said, Kevin, you need this, I would have never knew that I needed it. Amen? God plays a part in salvation. It is not just an act of me saying, oh, I want it. God has to be, I have to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. I have to have an encounter where the Father reveals to me 
who Jesus is. How do I know that? Jesus was asking his disciples, who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're one of these other prophets raised from the dead. And Peter looked at him and said, thou art the Christ. The son of the living God, what did Jesus say to him? He said, Simon, son of Jonah, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. That's what it takes in every single person's life who ever truly gets saved. The Father reveals to you who Jesus is. Amen? We got this casual Christianity, this, this need to be culturally relevant Christianity. You know, I've got to be real hip popular. I wish every pastor would realize it ain't about you anyway. Amen? People better not be following you. They better be following Jesus. Amen? Popular, people-centered Christianity. That's what we have today. We have popular celebrity pastors who are much more interested in looking good and sounding good and being relevant and making people comfortable rather than preaching the gospel, holding people accountable, and discipling them like the Bible tells them to do. My job as a pastor is not to make anybody feel good. My job is to get everybody equipped to go out there and do the work of the ministry. That's my job. My job is to feed the sheep, to love the sheep, to take care of the sheep, to teach the sheep, to correct the sheep. Amen? This is the pastor's job. This is what I'm supposed to do. Point out false teaching. Bring everybody back to the word of God. Preach the word of God and nothing else. Not my opinion, but the word of God. Amen? It's our job as pastors. It's our job as Christians. My job as a Christian, your job as a Christian is not your will, but to do the Father's will. Paul said, when I, I've been crucified with Christ, and I die. Nevertheless, I live, and the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. Now that I got all that out of the way, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. I know y'all were going, man, what is this? he just said, preach the word of God and only the word of God. He ain't even opened the Bible yet. You get there, Pastor. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start at verse 13. I'm reading from the, uh, I think this is the Christian Standard Bible. This was my, my uh, Pastor Appreciation Spurgeon study Bible that I got, and I broke it out tonight for this very sermon. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13, he said, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt lose, should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for the whole house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father God, we just ask that you would bless the reading of your word tonight. Lord, we pray that everyone who is in this room and those who are at home watching the Facebook Live and those who are going to listen to the podcast, Lord, we pray that you would help all of us to have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that would receive this message tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, I started with a big, long discourse to start this message for three simple sections, okay? The reason I did that is because we have an idea in modern Christianity that we're not, oh, you know, we're not under the law, Kevin. We're under grace. So somehow that means I don't have to be committed. Somehow that means I don't have to be devoted. Come on. Because that's what I hear. When people are saying that, I ask them, well, where, 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 why wasn't you at church? And why wasn't you at a you know, uh, uh, fellowship dinner? And hey, where was you at when we had that special event? Or, you know, when you ask them, well, you know, you know, you know, it's not about things you're doing like that, Pastor. Isn't it? Isn't it? Somehow we got this idea that the pastor's the only one that has to be committed to come to church every Sunday morning, every Wednesday, Sunday night, every Wednesday night. Pastor's the only one that's obligated. That's not true, is it? That's not true. It's not. Look, I am not the body of Christ all by myself any more than you are. So when I'm here, it's because I want to be with you. Amen? Because we need each other. Amen? We need each other. I need somebody to say, hey, Pastor, it's about time to go. <laughs> if I don't, I'll preach for two hours. <laughs> Come on. You know what I'm saying? We need each other. Sometimes people get too full of themselves, and they need the pastor to tell them, hey, you're too full of yourself. Amen? Sometimes people are too busy picking at other people, and they need some brother to walk up to them and say, hey, why are you being like that? Amen? But you ain't never going to have anybody that says that to you if you ain't never around them. And that's why most people don't feel committed to church. Because they don't want to be accountable. They don't want to have responsibility to live up to any expectation at all. Okay? They're like, no, Ian, you do you. Problem with that is, that ain't church. Problem with that is, that's not being part of the church. Amen? Being part of the church means that we are accountable to each other. Being part of the church does mean we're responsible for one another. Being part of the church means that we're to love each other, build each other up, sharpen each other, correct each other. All those things. Amen? We're supposed to. And you got to be committed doing some of these things. Amen? Now let's read this again. I want to talk about just a few things in here. Matthew uh, chapter 5 verse 13. He says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It is no longer good for anything but thrown out and trampled under feet. 
believe Luke says that it's not even fit for the dung heap. Amen? Salt is a preservative and a seasoning. R.C. Sproul says this concerning this chapter and verse. The primary value of salt is not as a flavoring, but as a preservative. Disciples are to hinder the world's corruption on the church. Uh-oh. That's what we're here for, to preserve the gospel, to preach the gospel, to live the gospel, to be the gospel. Amen? We're to be about the Father's work. Amen? ESD Study Bible says this, says salt is, is a beneficial, is beneficial in a number of ways, mainly as a preservative and as a seasoning, etc. So are disciples of Jesus Christ who are to influence the world for good. Get that? We're to influence the world for good. How many of us Christians can really say we're doing good where we're at. Amen? Because the, the idea that, well, you know, I'm just where God wants me and I don't have to do anything is not found in the New Testament. Amen? Because wherever God places you when you come to Christ, Paul sets expectations. He sets expectations for servants, masters, widows. He sets expectations pastors, for church members. Amen? You can read all through the New Testament. Romans, 1 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, where Paul is writing to all these churches, all these pastors, Titus, Timothy, and he's setting expectations of what living for Jesus looks like. But all the while, we've got people nowadays going, oh yeah, that's nice. <gasps> Like it's unimportant. Like it doesn't matter. Like there's no, oh, that was for them, Pastor. It's different today. No, it ain't no different today. The only difference today is they believed it when Paul wrote it, and you don't. Woo, that's hard, ain't it? Come on now. Light. He says you're salt, and then he says you are light. You are light. You are the light of the world. Verse 14. A, sit, a city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. This is important right here, okay? You understand that in the Jewish culture, culture, when they talk about a candle or a lamp, it's not like a candle like this, okay? It's more like a jar that has oil in it, and there's a wick sticking out of it. It's like them old kerosene lanterns, you know what I mean? But it's about this big, just, just about this big, okay? Big enough to fit in your hand, got a little handle on one side of it, it's got a little wick sticking out of there, and you put the oil in there, amen? Now that little lamp, most houses only had one, okay? So that little lamp had a spot right in the middle of the room called a lamp stand. And they take that, after they lit it, and they put it on the lampstand. Why? Because then it's going to give 
light to the whole house. Amen? God did not make us the light of the world to be tucked off and tucked away and put under a basket, put on a so hidden away in a closet. We're to be out front living our life for Christ in front of people. How do I know that? Read what he says. You are the light of the world. The city on the hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather puts it on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. Now watch this. I want you to mark this, underline it, put it in your memory banks in your head. In the same way. Verse 15, or 16. In the same way. Let your light shine before others. Now, here's the kicker. Well, how do I do that, Pastor? Come on. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So, here's two things that I get out of this. And this ain't even in my notes, and I don't even need to watch this. Two things. Number one, my Light is the good that I do. Okay? That's the light that's going to show them that I know Christ. Amen? So let's ask, my, let's ask this question. How much good am I doing? Now, I ain't talking about works-based salvation. I'm talking about I, you already got the light. Amen? You're already saved. Okay, I'm talking about how we live our Christian life when we're saved. We're to go out there and do all that we can to show that we have the light of life in us. Amen? How do I do that? Loving my neighbor, loving God, loving other people, uh, helping, doing anything and everything I can to bring glory and honor to God in everything that I do. Amen? That's our job now. He says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I remember when we helped the church in Africa the very first time. Sent them $200 and they bought chairs and paid their back rent on their building that they were renting at the time. And I got a message back from Pastor William, and he said, Pastor Kevin, we danced and drummed and praised God all night long because he saw us in Bualula, Martinia, Africa. Do you see what they said? We sent them money to help, to be a blessing. Amen? This is what they saw. They didn't even see us. They didn't see our church. They saw it as God seeing them. God helping them. God knowing that they needed help and sending it. They glorified God. Do you understand that's how it ought to be? That's how it ought. we ought to be doing stuff so selflessly, so lovingly, so caring that 
by the time we're done, we just, we're, we, we just want to help. But the people who get help, they don't see me. They don't see you. They see God seeing them and their need and sending the help that they pray for. Amen? Spurgeon says this. I wanted to read this to you because Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, he said this. You are the light of the world. Wherever there is faith in Christ, there is light. For Jesus himself said that those who follow him would not walk in darkness. Now, I can stop right there, okay? Because James and John and Peter, they all say this. What fellowship does light have with darkness? What fellowship does the temple of God have with Belial? What fellowship does the Christian have with the world? We shouldn't have any fellowship. The only fellowship I should have is me doing my very best to glorify God in such a way that people in the world look and say, man, I want to know that Jesus. You understand? Spurgeon goes on to say, genuine faith in Christ turns a person from darkness to marvelous light and transforms him into uh, in he transforms him into light in the Lord so that light pours forth from the windows as to be seen by others. The believer is appointed to be a lighthouse to others, a cheering lamp, a guiding star. His light will be increased as he learns more of Christ. He will be able to impart more instruction to others when he has received more. But even while he is a beginner, his faith in Jesus is in itself a light. Do you understand? That's what it's all about. It's us being a lighthouse of hope, a beacon in the middle of a dark world. That's what Christians are here for. So we can't do it casually. Fly by the seat of my pants. Christianity is not going to save the world. What's going to save the world is committed followers of Jesus Christ who want to be salt, who want to be light who want to be a beacon of hope in the middle of a dark world. Amen? I'm not going to read them, but I'm going to finish up quoting some of these verses. And we've talked about them over and over. Mark chapter 8, verse 34 through 38. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 through 27. Luke 14, uh, verse 25 through 35. All of these have common themes. And Jesus is saying, whoever wants to come after me must first deny himself. What does that mean? I got to die. It ain't about Kevin. It ain't about what Kevin wants. It ain't about what Kevin needs. It ain't about, amen? I have to die. My will is no longer my own. Why? Why, Why isn't it about me? I know this goes against modern Christianity because modern Christianity teaches all about you. Why ain't it about me? Because I am not my own no more. I have been bought with a price. 
And I'm supposed to glorify God in my body now. So if I'm doing that, if I understand that I am not my own, that means somebody else, I'm somebody else's. I've been bought. I'm a slave under righteousness. Amen. Jesus saved me from slavery to sin, but he didn't save me and set me free to do what I want. He saved me and set me free to do what God wants. Amen? That's my goal now. My goal should be, like we talked about Sunday morning, he said the, the, the soldier is only ever wanting to please his commander. Amen? He doesn't get trapped in all this other stuff. He follows orders. Amen. Christians don't think we have to follow any orders. Not even the ones written down in this book. Not even the ones in the New Testament. Amen. They think, oh, I'll just do it my way. No, you have to do it God's way. Second Timothy, what did he say? He said, he said, a good soldier follows orders. And then he said, you know, every athlete that competes, they compete according to the rules. Amen. I don't get to make up the rules. I got the rule book. Amen. I don't get to make up the rules. It's God's way or the highway. Amen? We kind of do it God's way. And then finally said the hard-working farmer. Remember that? And that's what we're talking about tonight. She said, if any man wants to follow me, Mark 8, Luke 14, Luke 9, he said, anybody wants to follow me must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Amen? He said, if you don't do that, you cannot be my disciple. So, going back to our discussion at the very beginning, to think that somebody could be saved, be lost, be saved, be lost, be saved. Be... Jesus isn't leaving any room for that here. He said, you're either going to renounce all that you have and follow me, or you're not. Man come up to him, well, i got to bury my father. He said, the dead, bury the dead. Come and follow me. When are we going to get to the point where we're unashamed of following Jesus? Paul, in that uh, letter that we were reading, 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says, Do not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ or of me, his prisoner. Amen? we got to get to that point. Jesus, in Mark 8, and I'm going to close with this. In the same part where he says, if you don't take up your cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple, he says this. He says, if you are ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you before my Father who is in heaven. Trying to live covert in a, 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 a covert Christianity is exactly the opposite of what we've read it's exactly the opposite of what Jesus is saying in Mark 8, where he says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father who is in heaven. The realities of following Jesus are much more important for us to understand that although I'm saved 100% by the grace of God, the grace of God also teaches me, according to Titus. Titus chapter 2 says, that the grace of God that brought salvation has appeared unto all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly pleasures and to live upright, godly lives in this present age. Amen? So our goal, our aim, 
is not to be covert Christians, but to be cities on a hill, lamps on a lampstand, lighthouses in the middle of the ocean. Amen? Because somebody, somebody, somewhere, their whole walk with God is going to be dependent on whether you're being faithful in what God called you to do. Paul understood this. That's why he taught Timothy. He said, I'm, I'm, a, I'm being a prisoner for the elect's sake. What does he mean by that? He's meaning, I don't know who all God's going to save, but he said, I know if I don't do this right here and stand up and be a light and be a voice and call out to these people that they'll never hear the gospel. Faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. How will they hear? Except there be a preacher. You understand? And that's not just me. We're all called to be light, salt. Amen? Let's stand and close in prayer. Father, we just thank you, Lord. Lord, we praise you for your grace and your great mercy, God, that loves us, that challenges us, God, to be different. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room. I pray, Lord, for those who are watching on Facebook or are going to listen to this on the podcast, Lord. I pray right now, God, that you would help every one of us who have been walking in apathetic, uh, comfortable, conformable, uh, covert Christianity, God. If there, there's any true believer that's been doing that, God, I pray that you would convict their hearts to repentance, that they would come back and do the first works that they would follow you God with all of their heart with all of their might that they would lay aside every weight, every sin God that they would lay it all down that they would renounce it all and follow you that they would take up their cross that they would deny themselves, that they would follow you that they would truly be salt and truly be light in the world that they would be cities set on a hill, beacons of hope in lost and dying world, God. Lord, help us to all be that way. Encourage us, uplift us, and help us, God, where we fail you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless y'all.